Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to The Narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme. Hey there, it's Ron Doyle. Today we've got a story from our own Erin Rollman. Most of you should know Erin by now. She's the co-host of The Narrators and the co-founder of Bunport Theater, home to our show. She does lots of the introductions for this podcast. And Erin is a huge part of this show. I mean, I would even argue she's become the heart of The Narrators. But Bumport Theater is clearly her masterpiece. Along with the other members of Bumport Theater Company, Sam, Eric, Brian, and Hannah, Erin has been creating original theater for more than two decades. And through her stories over the years, I've listened to Erin give a master's level course on stagecraft to the narrator's audience, one true story at a time. So today, in this episode, I'm going to share one of those stories. I'm sharing this today because February 19th, marks the one-year anniversary of when Bumport was last able to open its doors to the general public. It has been a really dim year for performing arts, and I don't know about you, but I just can't wait to sit with strangers in the dark again and watch my friends create worlds out of words. We'll get back there. We're going to be back there before we know it. We're going to get through this. And until then, please enjoy this story, and please, please, Keep a light burning for the artists you love. Aaron told this true story in front of a live audience at Bumport Theater in December 2018. The theme of the evening was ghosts. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the narrators. Thank you so much for coming. Um, so I do work at Bumpport Theater, which is where you are. I work here full time. Uh, this is uh, not this isn't my job, but this in general is my job. Um, Uh, If you are not a theater person, you might not know that theaters traditionally have what we call ghost lights that we uh, leave on at night, um, ostensibly, I think, for safety, um, but really it's total just superstition, Um, and it's to keep the theater ghosts appeased because uh, supposedly all theaters have ghosts, although I have some doubts about this one as... We were the first occupants in this when we first opened 18 years ago. It was a brand new warehouse connected to a Greek wholesale (laughs) warehouse right there. But you never know. I don't know. Over the course of time, maybe a ghost has gotten in. Uh, I don't know. So we might have one. But we... um, Although Bumpport actually, in a general sense, all of the people who work here are kind of a superstitious lot, especially in terms of doing sort of rituals before each show, um, we do not have a ghost light. And we never have. Uh, other companies, when they come in and rent the space, sometimes do set up ghost lights, uh, but we've, we've never had one. Um, so at Bunport, I think that in general, we have the uh, reputation of doing comedy. Um, our current show, which is called Coyote, Badger, Rattlesnake is what one would call a comedy. Um, Whenever I look at our body of work and whenever anyone else in the company looks at our body of work, I think we always think it's pretty dark, actually. Um, But it's the kind of darkness that we like to put lots of laughs in. We like to make people laugh on the way to making them feel just terrible about themselves. Um, But way back in 2005, we decided to make something that was decidedly unfunny. We decided to create a scary horror ghost story um, to see if that would work in live theater and if we could kind of put the same spooks in people as happen in like horror movies. Um, 
And so it was an adaptation of a book called Wheeland or The Transformation in American Tale by Charles Brockton Brown, which is a fancy novel in that it was the first American Gothic novel and it was published in 1792. Now, my feelings on that novel are that it is okay. So like, I'm not recommending it to you. And that is not a good sign when you adapt something. Like, you should love something when you adapt it to another medium. Um, you should want people to, like, the first thing they do when they leave, like, they're like, I'm going to read the source material. Like, that's what you want. And um, I don't know. We just decided to do this adaptation, and then we kept reading the thing, and we were like, Ugh, you know, but um, that's okay. We make stupid choices sometimes, and we have to admit that. Um, so one of the things that we like to do at Bumport is surprise viewers, but by using really simple devices um, that you can sort of always figure out once the surprise happens. Um, and so that was a, a thing that we definitely did with that show. Um, and I think some of the things were actually really effective and were actually fairly creepy. Um, a lot of them were tricks with the back walls of the house where all of them looked like they were solid walls, but one of them, like writing would appear on it and then disappear and it was not done with projections, okay? And then another wall, uh, like hands could push through, kind of like make the wall bend and you would see the impressions of the hands and faces on it. And then we made another wall out of scrim, which if you're a theater person, you know this, but uh, if you light it from the front, it can look solid. But if you light something or somebody behind it, you can see through it. And so you can use that for some spooks. Um, people use it for all sorts of things, not just spooks. But anyway, uh, so if you, I think if you create the right mood in a show, all of that stuff can work really well. Uh, we had speakers everywhere, including under the risers. So we would play like these really low vibrating tones that would make you feel kind of sick while you were watching the show. <laughs> There were also plenty of really cheesy things that we did involving slide projectors and rubber masks, but we tried to use them sparingly, and I'm not sure how successful we were at that. So the children in the show, there are two children in it, and they were played by homemade marionettes, <laughs> which could be creepy, like potentially, but probably were goofy. Uh, um, so, you know, that's okay. Uh, and in the story, the father goes mad and he starts hearing voices and he ends up killing his children. So my coworker, Byron, had to, like, in a very serious scene, murder his marionette children <laughs> like the tragedy that it was. And so one of the important plot points of this show is that one of the characters can um, effectively throw his voice. And so we had, you know, all these speakers, like I said, and some of them were built into the set and very small and hidden and, and whatnot. And so um, Eric would, when it came to the time to show that he could throw his voice, would do a very sort of awkward move where he kind of would go like, like that, which is good acting. And, and then his voice would travel through speakers all, all through, uh, all through the, the theater. And it wasn't to trick the audience. Obviously, it, everyone in the audience knew that there were speakers places and that he wasn't throwing his voice. But it is important that the other characters on stage are impressed by 
of his party trick. That's important to the plot. And now is when I'm going to wax on about how live theater is made of many components that have to reliably come together night after night after night. Everybody has to be on and paying attention, but also flexible because little things change. And side note, I should say about this particular production, like already we had this problem with the show and that's that one of my coworkers, Hannah, whenever you she's asked to hold still. She has this psychosomatic thing where she thinks she needs to cough. And that's come up several times in our show because it's not that uncommon in theater that like you have to freeze while somebody else is doing something on the other side of the stage. Uh, and she will immediate, like if you ask her to freeze, she will immediately like start um, kind of like trembling and her she'll start crying, holding the coughs in. And she'll start kind of making this kind of, you know. So already, like, we had a lot of freezing in the show, so it was already, like, sort of a problem, you know? Like, no night was going to go great. Because, like, she's over there, like, shaking and trying to deal with this situation. But anyway... As an actor in general, you rely heavily on the connection that you have with your fellow actors. And then, of course, you also have to sort of connect with the technicians, even though you rarely are face-to-face with them. Um, And so all these things need to go smoothly, night in, night out. There's obviously no opportunities for outtakes in live theater, uh, but there are a lot of humans involved and many, many chances for people to fuck up. And obviously this is going to be about a time it didn't go smoothly and in a way that is clear already like I'm sure you know what happened uh based on what I've told you so far but um uh I the other thing about acting of course is that a lot of times mistakes happen that aren't very noticeable to the audience and we really get away with it because we're in the business of covering problems and selling things as intentional and so it's like always there's been problems in shows and, you know, we talk after and we're like, I I don't think they picked up on that one. There's no way, you know, and uh, every so often something comes along that is like uncoverable and like clearly we all experienced what just happened. Like Eric's character tells everybody at the party that he can throw his voice and then he decides to show and he's like, and no sound plays anywhere. And we're all like waiting, you know, acting like it's going to happen. It'll just happen a little late. And then we'll all be very impressed with his ability to throw his voice. But it didn't. And he still is just going, you know, and um, just his heart breaking, you know, like everything's horrible. And so then another one of my coworkers, Evan, decides the right way to fix this problem is to just keep going. And he goes, wow. <laughs> like he's so impressed with Eric's ability to open his mouth and awkwardly like move his face. And it makes things way worse because none of the rest of us are acting like we heard it. And so, you know, moments like that, I think, always end up exposing theater um, for what it is at its very worst, which is, you know, a ham-handed attempt to manipulate people and (laughs) 
transport you. And uh, I think it's a moment that also sort of reminds you exactly where you are and what nonsense you're involved in, you know? Like, it's like, oh, shit. And it's made worse when the show is not a comedy. It's, like, made a million times worse when everybody up there is being sincere. And that is what we were doing for one of the first times in our lives. Like, we really don't roll sincerity out very much, so... Uh, that was a learning curve for us where we're like, never again, <laughs> never more sincerity. And so, you know, like, I mean, like I said, it is show, it's a show that culminates in the murder of marionette puppets. So if you lose them early in the show, you're fucked by the end, you know, like it's not going to happen. I suspect, in some ways, the ability for theater to be a total shit show every night is partly what I love about it, partly what I'm drawn to, probably at least partly why almost all of my hair is totally gray, um, because it's just chaos when there's barely a difference between something working and not working at all, just failing phenomenally. Uh, I mean, the difference is like a finger on a CD, because that's the other thing. He was running the sound off of CDs in 2005. So there's the difference between something working and failing is like a person's finger on a play button on a CD player in 2005. And I think even uh, that night, that, I, that actually felt like a really huge fail to us and is something that we still talk about just consistently and laugh about all of the time, um, it didn't even then we weren't convinced to put a ghost light up to prevent ourselves from future problems of clearly the ghost that's made their way in from the Greek wholesale food <laughs> side. Um, the way that we dealt with it was just to tell Matt to stop fucking up in the future. <laughs> so that's, um, that's my story on ghosts, everyone. The Narrators is produced by me, Ron Doyle, and Aaron Rollman, with help from Karen Wachtel, Jesse Witten, Scott Carney, and Sydney Crane. Karen edited this episode. If you'd like to support Bumpport Theatre, I highly recommend that you visit their website, bumpport.com. There you can find a movie version of Cabaret de Profundis, one of their newest plays, which was originally supposed to debut in March of last year along with information about other pandemic-friendly events, a truly fascinating video about Rocky Mountain locusts, and a plain vanilla donation option if that's your bag. Again, that's bunport.com. As always, we'd like to thank our other sponsors, Illegal Pete's from the Hep Photo and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whalehawk, and we would also like to thank Horse Girl, who provided the outro music you're listening to right now. You can find a link to their music in the show notes for this episode. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or at our website, thenarrators.org. Our live show takes place every third Wednesday of the month, and we've been hosting some of them virtually during the pandemic, so please join us if you can. We'll be back next Friday with a new episode. Till then, thank you for listening. Yeah. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs>